So I thought the best place to start with would be to give you some definitions about surrender and submission. And for surrender, I found, <laughs> I found these definitions. Now in the Bible org, this was the most uh, succinct definition I could find. It was, said, it was about relinquish possession or control of another to submit to the power, authority and control of another. But Google also had <clears throat> some other definitions. Give up or hand over a person, right or possession, typically on compulsion or demand, so you don't have a choice in the matter. An action of surrendering to an opponent of powerful influence. And a word very similar, submission. The definitions for that were action of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Acknowledgement of the legitimacy of the power of one's superior or superiors and the state of being obedient, the act of accepting the authority of control of someone else. But I guess for most of us, we would think of surrender as giving up or waving the white flag. This shows we're being totally beaten and maybe humiliated by an enemy. And they are likely, and this is likely what you feel, and people liken this to godly surrender, sorry. But biblically, that is a mistake. Godly surrender or submission is not to be beaten down to the ground and humiliated so much that you accept God, but that you truly show godly surrender in giving willingly our hearts and lives everything to God with no complaint, no moaning, and no regret. By this you acknowledge how much he loves you, how much he's fully accepted you, your flaws and mistakes, and realise how much he gave up for you and did for you. The Bible is clear, no matter what level of authority, gender, or place in your family, you will need to submit to someone, be it a parent, a spouse, a leader, a manager, or a government. But in all of it, you must ultimately submit yourself to God. Once you understand and get an inkling of this, you will more willingly give all to him that is worthy of praise. Abraham, Moses, David and many others received that into their hearts and never let it go. Nor did God let them go either. This table shows a comparison between a surrendered heart and an unsurrendered heart. So those who will give a surrendered heart to God will have God as their master and as their friend. They will receive his wisdom, they'll live in his light, and he will give them his life. Through this, sin no longer rules, and you enjoy eternal salvation. Again, examples, I always pull up Old Testament ones, but there are loads of New Testament ones. But Abraham, Moses and David. But I note these three, Samson, Jonah and Solomon. Why? Because they made mistakes. Big mistakes. They fell away. But praise God, they came back to him at the end. While an unsurrendered heart, I'm sorry, but this is the facts. Satan is your master. God will be your enemy. And your wisdom is from the flesh, not him. You will be in darkness. And unfortunately, you will die in sin. Because sin is still ruling in your life you will face eternal punishment. And the examples would be Absalom, who was David's son, the one that overthrew him and did all sorts of debauchery while he was king. 
Haman, who decided to pick on Mordecai with the Queen Esther story. Just hated Jews, wanted to eliminate them, wanted to start with Mordecai. That didn't happen. And Ahab, notorious in the Bible, that man was truly wicked. So, that's the bad news of Let's move on to the good news. I want to highlight some aspects we experience or is produced when we surrender our heart to God. You hear in the news stories that make you think the world has gone mad. I heard a story, I think a couple of weeks ago, I think my wife highlighted it to me, that someone was trying to legalise rape. Legalise rape. What madness is that? You know, every day I, you know, I put on the news or maybe read the paper and I see some other madness coming through which you think no normal person would even consider. But why, why would they be considering that? Anyway, listen to rant. The world is getting worse. And there's no point asking the question, is it going to get worse? Yes, it is. And it's going to get darker. There's so much darkness in this world now, but we must not succumb to it or let it dampen our spirits, for Jesus is a much greater light in it. To be able to survive it or even fight it, we must surrender ourselves to the light of God. Only his light can overcome this darkness. As believers, we must stand against it as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did when they would not bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol and were going to be thrown into a furnace. So bear with me. Daniel 3 from verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. So, let's stop this. Seven times hotter. I mean, what's seven times hotter? But the Bible is just trying to make the point. The man was vexed now. And he was going to make sure these guys were going to suffer as much as possible. But God is in control. Yeah. Amen. Verse 20. He also commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Again, make a note. They're wearing all these clothes. You'll see the point later. But they're wearing lots of clothes before they go into the fire. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So we've got a picture of what it might look like. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Okay, let's stop there. Now, we don't have all the um, polyester stuff. They didn't have all the polyester stuff back in the day, yeah? And we know this stuff is pretty flammable, isn't it? Fire catches it, it's good. Woof, you're a light. But remember what we said earlier. They were fully clothed, turbans, robes, all sorts. So anything like that is going to catch any sort of flame, isn't it? And it's going to go like, like your furniture. It says, don't have a naked flame like your furniture because then you'd have a cinder rather than a city. Yeah? Yes. That's the truth. Yet they came out and not one thing was even singed or smelled like burning. That's God. From before they even stepped into the furnace, God was around them. And then to prove to Nebuchadnezzar that God is in control, he sent his son to show himself. Four people Nebuchadnezzar saw, not three. And why did only Nebuchadnezzar see it? Didn't the soldiers see it? The soldiers that he sent with them to throw into the fire, did they not die? They didn't even get a chance. Those guys walked into the furnace. The soldiers couldn't even get into the furnace. They died before they got to the furnace. It all points to God. Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar realizes that. And we'll move on now. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar became a believer, and he was actually preaching to his own country that this is the God you serve. He doesn't make any mention of that idol anymore, does he? All of the things that made him angry in the first place, it's forgotten. He understands now why they're making that stand. God is real. God does exist. And I've got to now bow down to him. He's the great authority, not me. Yeah. We also, I like these Old Testament stories, we need to stand as Daniel did. Thrown to the lions in darkness by jealous rivals because he prayed to our God, yet he was protected and came out unharmed. His rivals who put him in that situation were not so fortunate, suffering the fate intended for Daniel, becoming a tasty feast for the hungry lions. Better than a Big Mac. I hope that doesn't get any copyright issues anyway. Um, this is what King Darius, a God-fearing man, it seems, writes after seeing Daniel delivered from the lion's den. Daniel 6, from verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will, never, will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. 
So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So again, we see by God's grace, another person is saved. So God doesn't make these miracles happen just to make them happen. He has a plan, he has an agenda, and it's always to show that he is who he says he is. A surrendered heart encourages other hearts to surrender through the power of the Holy Spirit. A surrendered heart cuts across many divides and divisions to bring believers together for the glory of God and the increase of his kingdom because it reveals more of Christ in what we do. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Most of us know the story of Jonah and his reluctance to bring a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. We pick up the story after his attempt to run away from God to Tarshish. He's thrown overboard by the crew and he's been swallowed up and then vomited out by a giant fish. So he's having a bad day as well. (laughs) Jonah, chapter 3 from verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So he's a third of the way into the city, and he's called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now listen to those words. The people of Nineveh believed God. It didn't say believe Jonah. It said believe God. So they understood God was talking to them. Now if you wind it back, for sake of time, I didn't look at the first two verses. But Nineveh, God was not happy with. And he was going to send Jonah to give him, well, no. But he wanted him to repent. And he's sending Jonah to say, look, if you don't repent now, I'm going to obliterate you. Now, he didn't do that with Sodom and Gomorrah. He just took it and obliterated them. So he saw there was something in Nineveh worth saving. Yeah? Yeah. Now, did Nineveh know that Jonah was coming? Probably not, because Jonah was going the other way. He wasn't making any announcements to say, Nineveh, expect me. (laughs) But it's the truth. You read the story, he was going the other way. The complete opposite direction. Yet, he comes in, he just gets into the city, he's not even all the way in. And he says those words, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown, and everyone believes. That's a preacher's dream, you just come in and say one thing, everyone's saved. That don't happen, does it? As a preacher, it doesn't happen. Take my word for it. Yet, these guys were willing to give it all up. On that word. Let's carry on. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, 
taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now again, the theme that I'm I'm trying to say in these Old Testament passages are the kings were the ones that had the revelation. Yeah? Yeah? People, yeah, that's good. But the kings acknowledged it. Now these guys don't have to listen to anyone. They're the king. They can tell you to, you know, I want that person to be beheaded. And it happens. They have that authority. But God's authority was always greater. And they acknowledged that. The lesson we need to learn from this, the crew on the boat who threw him overboard, that is Jonah, and the people of Nineveh showed more humility, more humility towards God than Jonah did at that time. Their hearts were more willing to surrender to God's will than Jonah's. We need to be willing to surrender to God's will for his purposes because they're going to get fulfilled whether we cooperate or not. Again, that's testimony. God's purposes don't stop because you say, I'm not doing it today, Lord. It will happen. Now, you can do it like your children do when you're trying to take them shopping, kicking and screaming, (laughs) or you can cooperate. And it's a lot easier. God will give you one of these heart-surrendering moments like Samson or Jonah experienced when he shows you where your heart truly is And you have to decide, will you repent and come back to God or remain in your stubbornness and disobedience? But eventually, by God's grace, you should come to your senses, just as Jonah did and Nineveh, and come back to him who is always merciful, faithful, just, and trustworthy. All he wants is the best for you. All he wants is the best for your families and your families' families. And it's for generations to come. He's not your enemy. He's more than a friend. He is our saviour. And he's worthy of all the praise and glory than we can ever give or ever imagine. So, <clears throat> surrender equals love. Love costs us. It costs us physically and spiritually. It takes effort and a will to love. Yeah? You do. You have to make decisions with love. It it don't just happen. You have to maintain it. Love leads to action for the best interest of another. I bet you mothers, right, when you're having your your child, are not feeling very loving to your husbands at that point in time when um, you're about to give birth. But when you have the child in your hand and that love starts to transfer between you and that child, you give the man a blight for a little while. Maybe that's how God intended it, I don't know. But that's what I'm saying. It's always for the best of someone else, for love. A surrendered heart is a loving heart. The key characteristics this heart would show are shown in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start from verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Right. So that's a nice lovey-dovey statement for love, yeah? Now, I'm not one to... I like to keep it real when I'm preaching. So I'm going to give you a statement from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis gives us a stark warning for hearts that do not love. So that's a statement about a loving heart. Let's look at a statement from C.S. Lewis about hearts that don't love. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact... You must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, earless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love, is hell. We were talking about earlier, people with unsurrendered hearts. There is only one place they're going to end up. C.S. Lewis does says the same. With a surrendered heart, we should develop a self-sacrificing, respectful, loving, but not harsh or blaming attitude towards others especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. So surrender will lead to sacrifice and vice versa. But then you will need to pay a cost. Those two can't happen without cost. Our sacrifice will benefit us and others when we do it for God. We are blessed and empowered to be a blessing to others. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 from verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to everyone, so that I may win more for Christ. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews for Christ. To men under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without or outside the law, I became as one without the law, though I am not without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as the weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may be all means, in any and every way, save some, by leading them to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I use the Amplified Version because I really wanted to get the most out of that scripture there. And basically, Paul is making sure there's nothing that's going to hinder his ability to share the gospel. Now, if you just read that as, as words, you would think, well, isn't he um, contradicting himself? How can he be under the law with one minute and then not under the law in the next one? That's not the point that Paul's trying to make. I believe in the scripture. He's just trying to say, don't do anything that would cause someone not to receive the gospel. I think that's a key element. So that's what I'm saying. He's still under the law. He hasn't forgotten his mandate. Jesus has specifically called him out to preach to the Gentiles, to share the gospel. Yeah? 
he's been, he's been called out. But he's got to make sure that his Jewish background doesn't hinder his non-Jewish people and friends, doesn't he? So you can't go in and be talking about the law to a non-Christian. You can't be talking about the Torah to someone who hasn't got a clue. They've got no context. But if you talk about Jesus and what he did for you and how he's done things for you, then the barriers fade. It's not about the law. It's not about the Torah. It's not about what religion you, you're serving. It's about the God and saviour that loves you yeah. and loves the person that you're talking to. That's what Paul is trying to say. That's what Paul is trying to do. Okay? Yeah. Right. So a heart surrendered to God is better able and empowered to give sacrificially to others. Paul never compromised the gospel, but he ensured he communicated to people on their level, being careful his life reflected what he preached. Again, that's really important for us as Christians. Again, I'm, I'm fed up with seeing in the news, be it church people, celebrities, or just your next door neighbour. I mean, we saw, sorry, I'm sidetracking here. Do you know I saw a program yesterday about Nightmare Neighbours? Um, but this one's a really extreme one where this person was living next to, um, I don't know if this is a warning, but I'll say it anyway. They were living next to this guy and they were having issues because sometimes you have issues with your neighbours. And then one day this, this person took it upon himself to get a gun and shoot the family. Eight, time, eight, eight times, I think, he shot people. There was a family of four. Mum, dad, uh, son, and the daughter. And he went in, went into their home, and he killed the, the mum, the father, and the son. Shot the, the daughter up really bad. And she just about survived. Now, that's not the end of the story. This, this guy was convicted. It was a big thing. I, I didn't hear the news. I think it was before my time anyway. They put him away, put him in a psychiatric area. So you think the story's finished? No. 20-odd years later on, they, he's released. And he goes back to a, an area close to where he had the incident. And again, there was an issue with a family. Similar family. Mum, father, kids. And the father was, you know, as you do, you want to protect your household. You can sense something's not right. So they ring up the police, and the police look through their records and then all of a sudden it says we need you to leave leave your home now so they're thinking okay they leave they then find out later on this same person that caused that incident was living next door to them and when they went into his home he was gearing up to do the same thing had weapons and bomb and everything like that thankfully this this family was spared but that's what I'm trying to say to you guys. You've, we've got to be careful. We've got to be living as we should, you know? Because if not, you don't know what's around the corner. You do not know what's around the corner. Okay. Yeah. So if there's anything about um, preaching about love your neighbour and keep them sweet, that's, that's the one, yeah? I'm not trying to joke or make that light of that situation, but I'm just saying to you, just be careful. Just be careful. Surrender equals giving of yourself, your wealth, your time, and your heart. 
1 Corinthians 10.24 Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbour. Surrendered hearts bear fruit. God's fruit is in them as people and people will see that work in you. John the Baptist warned the people to produce appropriate fruit before he baptised Jesus in Matthew 3 verse 8. So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behaviour that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. And Romans 6.22 But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. So I guess most people would ask, should you submit to authority that you don't completely agree with? Jesus says we need to respect the authority over us as long as it does not take us away from honouring God. But we still have to be careful how to deal with these situations so we do not bring any sort of dishonour to God's name as we still represent him in this world. You may think if the authority over us is perfect, then everybody's going to submit to it. Okay, let's go right back to the beginning even before man was created. The angels were under the perfect authority of God, yet a third of them rebelled. Yeah? Yeah. And then you think, okay, well, man's up now. Adam and Eve are at the, at the plate. Sorry to use sport analogies here. They're in the forefront. They're still under perfect authority. They rebel. Yeah. So perfect authority is not the answer. And if you're expecting perfect authority, I think you're going to be sadly mistaken because there is no such thing unless you submit yourself to God. John Glass highlighted at an Elim Leaders Conference last year that central to the word obedience (coughs) is the three-lettered word, die. As God is showing me more and more how to follow him and be obedient to his will, the more I realise, more of myself needs to die. Now, I'm not talking about believers becoming zombies, although some of us can feel a little rough before our first cuppa. Yeah? But I'm saying putting God first will mean you will put a lot of ourselves, our preferences, our attitudes, our weaknesses aside for his glory. And I'm sure some of us would testify that's not a bad thing. A godly act of submission is a willingness to pay the price and do whatever God asks. So a surrendered heart equals a servant heart. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Charles T. Studd, renowned international missionary who gave up all his riches and wealth to become a missionary, said, If Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice can ever be too great for me to make for him. Now, when I'm talking about wealth, this man was like in Donald Trump regions at that time. And he gave it all up to be a missionary. Not a preacher. You know, some people think, oh, there's lots of glamour being a preacher. I'm yet to see it myself. But a missionary goes into some places that people don't want to go into. And he had, that, he had that life of wealth and comfort. He didn't have to, but he gave it all away for God. 
George Muller, a well-known evangelist and a provider of welfare for thousands of disadvantaged people in the 1800s, said, There was a day when I died to my opinions, preferences and tastes and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only unto God. Powerful words from a godly man. And I pray they help us to focus on what I hope every believer would like to hear from the master when they meet with him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Abraham submitted to God's will when he took his son Isaac, the son of God's promise to him, to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. He could have argued, he could have disobeyed, but he didn't either. He followed God's instructions and Abraham found he did not have to kill his son and his faith was rewarded in Genesis 22. From verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In many years to come, this site would become the place where Solomon would build the temple his father David yearned to build for God. This temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. But the good news is, when Jesus submitted himself to death upon a cross... He ended the importance and requirements of this temple and made those who believe in his name his living temples of his Holy Spirit. It is essential for God's people to be in submission to him. Hebrews 12.9 says, Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of Spirits and live by learning from his discipline? A surrendered heart learns from God's discipline and teaches others to do the same. And through this surrender, we have maturity. James 4, 7. So submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Submission to God gives you his strength and wisdom to lean on. To thwart the plans of the enemy in our lives, but also in the lives of those we love. There are warnings to not surrendering our hearts. Psalm 81, verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. God was constantly begging the Israelites to submit to him. Through his servants, the judges. The judges were the era with Samson uh, and, and those guys. Godly kings such as David and Josiah and the prophets. But each and every time the Israelites disobeyed and their disobedience led them to be delivered into the hands of their oppressors. Now it's not what God wanted, but God said right from the start, if you obey my commands, this is what will happen. If you disobey, this is what's going to happen. So he gave them plenty of time, plenty of warnings, many people, but they still wouldn't obey. The result was that the 12 great tribes of Israel reduced to a small remnant but they were kept as a small remnant to ensure God's promise to Abraham would be fulfilled. 
and the Saviour will be born through the line of David. Just as Jesus submitted himself totally to the Father, we, the church, must submit to Christ. Matthew 20 from verse 25. But Jesus called to them, sorry, but Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We also have responsibility as believers to submit to one another, be it godly authority or brotherly correction. That's not just for elders, that's one another. My wife is constantly correcting me. (laughs) You hear that? Any other? Yes, I'll leave that there. <laughs> Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So surrendered heart equals forgiveness. And that will equal mercy. I believe it goes in that order. I surrendered my heart to God and he forgave me. But he gave me the ability to forgive others. And now I'm a lot more merciful. I'm not going in there headstrong thinking... But you did that. You deserve it. I know what God has saved me from. No one deserves what is facing them if they don't repent. Mercy. But I had to surrender and I had to forgive. John Newton wrote one of my favourite songs, Amazing Grace. But knowing the history behind him, before God got hold of him, he was a slave trader and an atheist. Not two of my most popular people. Now, I could get hung up on that. I could cut my nose off to spite my face and say, I want nothing to do with this man. I want nothing to do with his song. Because of what he did and what he was. But anyone who's listened to the words of Amazing Grace, you can hear in that song, this person knows who they are in Christ. They know where they've come from, but also where Jesus has taken them from and to. Paul also shows and expresses how much he feels God has saved him from, given his persecution of the early church. Even Jesus remarks how Paul persecuted him so zealously. Paul was thorough and driven in what he did. He was, he was really giving the church a hard time, wiping out people left, right and centre. How much more driven do you think he was when he realised his error? And he received the revelation Jesus gave him about himself and true salvation. The difference now was that he was broken for Christ's sake and would lead many others to salvation through his submission to Christ. A surrendered heart allows the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh. For those who have surrendered to God, they allow the Holy Spirit to rule the flesh. Paul talks about this in the New Testament. I believe God always intended for the Holy Spirit to rule over the flesh. Ultimately, Adam and Eve, like many children, were not ready for serious responsibility and the flesh was able to overcome what God intended for us originally. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In Galatians 5.16 So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In all things, we need to surrender to God and let him rule. Paul's encounter with Jesus not only changed his heart, but his whole being. He turned his back on his old way of life and religion, and he lived a different life, empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.12 Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So a surrendered heart will give you compassion and patience. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. A surrendered heart never gives up on God or his purposes. Now whenever you want to look at what church should be like, you go back to Acts 2. And I'm going to start from 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. I think that's the sort of template that every church is striving for. Where we're devoting ourselves to one another. You guys are really digging in deep with the teaching and you are. Bless you all. I mean, we know from the questions that me and David and even Kevin are getting, you guys are hungry. That's good. We can feed you. Keep being hungry. Never, never get fooled. But you guys are breaking bread. We do that every Sunday. We're praying constantly. And yeah, sometimes when God turns up in real power, we see some wonders, and that's all good. But I, pre- I prefer more of the fellowship. And that's why we encourage that welcome bit at, before we start. And I'm always glad to see people who are smiling when they're meeting and greeting. You know, it's not like when you get in the office on a Monday, you think, I don't want to be here. It's, it's the truth. I'm not going to lie. You come to church and you're happy to see one another. And we all do, we do have all things in common. We're here. We all believe. We all trust in Jesus. And if you don't, then I'm going to pray that you will at some point. So it's good. But verse 40 says, 46 says, breaking bread in their homes. And I'm glad for the, the fellowship that we're seeing in the midweek groups as well. 
I would like to see more people at the midweek groups. So that's my plea to you. If you're not at a midweek group, please engage because you will get more in that situation. But let's go into generous hearts. A surrendered heart brings great fellowship in a church. And unbelievers are attracted to the love of God for our surrendered hearts. And Aeneas and Sapphira missed the point here when they tried to make out they'd given more than they had. The rest of the church willingly gave out of their hearts while they wanted to give to gain some sort of kudos. Pride instead of love was motivating their hearts and the outcome was severe for them both. So the last thing I'm going to talk about with surrendering a heart is about martyrs. Now this is the complete extreme to what I would say day-to-day Christianity is about. We're always supposed to surrender ourselves. We're always supposed to be submitting to God. But these guys, they submitted everything. Martyrs. These guys are believers who are willing to sacrifice their life and die for the sake of Jesus. The first one was Stephen. But also the apostles gave their life. And we still have modern day missionaries and believers around the world who are not denying Jesus in areas of persecution and losing their lives. So for us, I would just say, beware of some barriers to a surrendered heart. The biggest one will be the flesh. Now the flesh, I'm not just talking about this thing that's covering the bones around our body. I'm talking about our will, basically. It is normally our will. And in that case, if you're going by the flesh, you're not surrendering it to God. I've read through lots of verses, I mean, take the references as well. If you're led by God, you'll be led by the Spirit. And I'm telling you now, the flesh does not like what the Spirit says sometimes. And you will have to fight. And it will be a struggle. But struggle for God, not yourself. Yeah? Yes. Laziness. <laughs> you just don't want to do it. It is. It is the truth. Yeah. I could sit at home and watch TV. Yeah. Right? Or read my Bible. It's just... If I want a strong word, it's disobedience. But that was the the nice one, laziness. You just don't want to do it. Your child doesn't want to clean their room. They're just, you'll say, you know, get off your seat and and do something. But they just don't want to do it. The last one is complacency. This is the one we've got to to watch out for. This is the grey area one. Because you could be in a church and you think, yeah, everything's good. The numbers are up. The worship team's banging out the songs every Sunday. Small groups are going, but we're not going for that next milestone. A church should always be growing in one shape or another. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about people's hearts, people's attitudes, fellowship, all of that. And complacency is one of the stop, key stopping blocks for a church because we get to a, a level and we think, We've reached it. No, we haven't. There's more to do. So ultimately, Jesus sets us the best example. He surrendered everything of himself to God the Father, his will, his rights, his privileges, although he was equally God with the Holy Father, so we might have life in him, through him, and for him. John 4, verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus' obedience and surrender to God ensured he fulfilled God's plan of redemption for us. 
Philippians 2, from verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ voluntarily emptied himself of everything that would hinder his Father's will. As his disciples, we must follow his example, no matter how uncomfortable or painful this can or will be. Paul pulled out his life from many. So many would come to the revelation that he had come to, that life in Jesus is the only way. It is the only life worth living. Everything else will decay, but God's love for you remains eternal. Jesus poured out his life for the world, redeeming fallen man and ending separation from God and destroying the power of sin for those that would believe in his name. A surrendered heart makes it all about him, not me and not us. It's his resources, his church, his will for us, for his glory. Surrender to Jesus is not giving in and it's not giving up, but it's giving him everything because he's worthy of it. So the final points. A surrendered heart will love. It will love God and it will love others. You will want to glorify the Lord in thanksgiving and praise. You will learn to sacrifice your time, your effort and yourselves. You'll learn to serve. You'll begin to walk in servanthood, fellowship but also serving in whatever God is calling you to do. <coughs> a surrendered heart will give. I'm not talking about just about money here, but you'll be charitable and you'll want to give generously. You will grow in faith, in humility and strength by the Holy Spirit. And a surrendered heart will want to share the gospel to encourage others to surrender to Christ. So in all things, put God first because of who he is and what he's done for you. So I'll, I'll just end in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, all, you surrendered it all for us. You are my example. You are my living example, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You, you did it all for us. And yet we fight and argue. And there's no need to. You said to your Father, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. And we pray, Father, that that's the words that are written on our hearts, etched on our minds, and what encourage us when our hands are doing work, when our feet are walking, Father, that we're doing it for you, for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So we're going to go straight into communion. So if the hospitality team can prepare for the breaking of